Welcome to Cosmophonia. I'm Meredith. And I'm Gabe. And today we're talking about Janelle Monae's Metropolis The Chase Suite. That's the first one of five, at least. And don't worry, we'll get to the rest of them. Eventually. We have been talking for a long time about doing one episode each for the different suites of Janelle Monet's Metropolis universe. universe. <laughs> and since there are so far five recorded suites across two albums and one EP, we decided it was time for us to begin. Mm-hmm. I also... Arc Android is probably one of my, if not favorite, at least top few favorite albums ever. And it's also huge. So it just made sense to start with this smaller and also earlier iteration of the Metropolis thing. Which also happens to be, by being the first installation, happens to be the thing that sets up the premise for all that follows. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So we should probably say what that premise is. Yes. Metropolis, the chase suite, is about an android named Cindy Mayweather, who has a very special android number, number 57821. If we're just talking about the narrative as based in the songs, the EP opens with an announcement that Cindy Mayweather has done something that is illegal, which is fallen in love with a human man. Anthony Greendown. And this is a big no-no in the world of Metropolis, and the uh, sentence is destruction. So basically these, I don't know what they are, police, bounty hunters, these people called the Wolf Masters are out to get her. So for the rest of the time, it's just her kind of trying to deal with the fallout of this, uh, her being wanted and having to try and navigate that situation that's what the narrative is about but how does this narrative unfold so Janelle Monet, during this kind of first phase of her career and still this is true I think is very good at utilizing like whatever musical style seems to make sense for the mood and the plot point that she's focusing on. Mm -hmm. So this suite, and I'll also note that she refers to these, to each kind of cluster of songs as a suite. So she's borrowing from European classical language and uses European classical language a lot actually throughout the whole thing, but in this one also opening with a kind of cinematic orchestral score. Orchestral scoring comes up a few times in the album, but then we also get like just a whole incredible range of pop music styles 
from across the history of pop music, from across current scenes and trends, and current, in this case, being 2007, the year of the initial release of the thing. So, in other words, we've got a high-stakes plot that involves all kinds of questions about identity and relationships that are, you know, countercultural, to put it <laughs> mildly, you know, and an incredibly diverse musical landscape. Yeah, and uh, it's said in the program notes of this album, EP. Can you call it an album if it's an EP? Oh, that's a big question. Um, this would qualify not as an album by any of the standard metrics. So okay. they, she calls it an EP, and I think that's the right term. Okay, all right. So you could call it a concept EP, is that sure. real term? Okay. Yeah. It's said in the program notes, in the program notes, no. Liner notes. Liner notes. It's said in the liner notes that Cindy Mayweather is a very special android in that she was programmed with uh, some kind of, like, pop star. Um, I think package. Package. <laughs> I think, that, yeah, that seems like the right term. And a working soul, apparently. Mm -hmm. Fully functional. So she uses that soul to invent a new genre of music called cyber soul. So um, in this, not only is Janelle Monet like showing her wide-ranging ability of musical and vocal style, but she's also, in her counterpart, aka Cindy Mayweather, inventing a new genre, apparently, of music. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. It's very cool. Now, at this point, we sh maybe let's pause for a moment because we have talked we, a little bit about the plot, a little bit about the stylistically complex landscape, which is all very music-y. It's not necessarily spacey. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so it's definitely future-y, mm -hmm. right? What's the year? 57? No, I got uh, that 27, wrong. 2719, I think. 2719. Yes. So it's definitely futury. And there's sort of like a given <laughs> that if you're in the future, there is also space exploration and aliens around. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of interesting that we we've both like gravitated towards this concept EP and like the whole series as like a cornerstone example of contemporary space music despite the fact that the spaciness of it is not exactly the point mm. yeah we gotta do kid cuddy sometime whoa, whoa oh he's on the list <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no it's true and I, I mean i think i kind of justify it in a couple of different ways one is that it's definitely sci-fi you've got androids you've got future you've got like a big old sci-fi city that is the location of the plot and also that it is clear from the many different media of this al uh i keep wanting to call it an album i mean it's it's a, it's a tiny album this tiny album this ep that they're living like in a a cosmic world you know like there are aliens that apparently live in the city um it's really funny in the like notes for each song it tells like the personnel that worked on the song and sometimes they're listed like described as if they were actually people from metropolis 
and I don't remember who it is, but someone is listed as an, a, a Martian <laughs> who is working on this album. So it's really interesting because, like, the personalities of the people get kind of mixed up between their real life and their, like, fictional versions of themselves. I mean, especially Janelle Monet herself, but even the other people working on it. Yeah, I mean, at this point, at the point of this thing, it's not obvious that Cindy Mayweather and Janelle Monet are, you know, the same or a stand-in one for the other. And spoiler alert, right? <laughs> <laughs> Later in this cycle of sweets, you learn that, in fact, yes, the two of them do share a very important connection. Mm -hmm. So definitely, like, blurred lines between future and present, between Earthling and alien um and yeah and i think like by being so explicitly futuristic it's very easy for little tiny bits of cosmic imagery to kind of float in and for you the listener to kind of just assume that this is space music as much as it is android music and and whatever i think that it's just really interesting that it goes without saying that our culture when we imagine the far distant future there are aliens there are there is space travel like that just seems to be part of it yeah yeah the future necessarily involves space yeah which is an interesting thing because that was not always necessarily true mm -hmm. <laughs> and um you know i feel like that's a very like late 20th early 21st century thing like of course the future is going to involve space mm -hmm. yeah i've talked to a few people about this who like remember the moon landing and stuff and this is just anecdotal evidence but if you would ask them like oh um in like a hundred years will, will people be living on the moon and be living on mars they'd be like well yeah um i mean nowadays if you actually seriously think about it it may be actually less easy to believe than like in the late 20th century but it's still kind of there in our just imagination of the future yeah and that reflects something of the changing priorities like changing cultural priorities that have precipitated over the last you know 50 60 years mm -hmm. i mean it's when you consider the fact that in 1959 the idea of an astronaut was basically still imaginary, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that within a decade, there were people walking on the moon, right? So, okay, cool. Well, yeah, if you could do that in a decade, I mean, that was the whole point, right? Mm -hmm. One could not be blamed for finding it disconcerting that in the subsequent 60 years, we've not gone beyond that. We haven't even replicated that yet. Right. So it's kind of a fascinating thing to think about, though, that that sort of the letdown of that, you know, the idea that you could have this decade of incredible technological progress and space exploration and then many, many decades. I don't want, I want to be careful here about this. Of course, we've done many things. The mm -hmm. space shuttle mm -hmm. is glorious. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> we've done <laughs> we've done lots of incredible things with space exploration, with our understanding of the universe, but not following that kind of linear progression of human exploration that was started and i find myself thinking about there's another component to this of course this janelle monet's work like mm -hmm. literally all of her work mm -hmm. you know that we haven't brought up yet which is the fact that basically all i mean this whole narrative is of course an allegory about being an outsider of some kind or another mm -hmm. and being kind of 
in this case, literally chased down by authorities. The idea, though, that like it, it makes you kind of wonder, like, well, gee, you know, if that forward progression of exploration had transpired, like what would our contemporary society be like? Like, it's hard to I mean, that's a massive thought experiment that hurts my brain to even think about how to begin to think about it. But <laughs> I do feel like it can't possibly be true that our contemporary society would be identical if we had continued that linear progression of human space exploration. Yeah, yeah, that is a really interesting thought. And I honestly think this is maybe connected to the narrative of this work, because the idea of technological development and like linear growth in that area, I feel like at some point in history has been kind of mentally aligned with like societal progress as in like yeah we're gonna fix problems and i mean like thinking back to like the 50s or even mostly the 60s it's like yeah we're excited about space technology that we just landed on the moon and also we've got all this like civil rights movements we've got feminist movements we got all of these things it's like yeah we believe that we're actually going to be able to fix the problems in society it might be hard but like maybe it could happen and it's like I feel like around the turn of the 21st century, people are starting to think, wait a second, we didn't fix everything. <laughs> you know, we still got a lot of problems. And yeah, like, I don't know. It, it's just interesting to think about the fact that you could have a extremely advanced, futuristic, technological society, and yet they're still dealing with the same problems. Like, the androids are literally like slaves, it, like she says in one of the songs, um, I am a slave girl without a race. You know, she has no freedom. She's constantly singing about freedom um, and trying to inspire the other androids to basically, like, join her and, like, try and go to a better place. But, yeah, they're, uh... They're not. <laughs> they're, they're not. They're not in a good place right now. They, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's also, that's, you know, she bakes that into the premise a little bit. I mean, she sets it far in the future, but also in the liner note says, this is after five world wars. <laughs> and I, I, I found myself thinking, well, gee, you know, if, man, if there's only been five world wars in the 700 years between now and then, that's actually not bad, maybe. I but, mean, we had two within 50. Yeah, so. right. So, yeah, but it's it's interesting, though, that also implicit in the world of the suite, right, is the idea that they built this city and theoretically the the Mayweather-esque androids, right, as part of this kind of utopian vision. So it really is the sort of grappling with the same questions about progressions in technology and progressions in human well-being. Mm. You know, if you engineer a city, which is basically a giant machine, especially as she's laid it out in this kind of world, right, shouldn't that be better for everybody? Well, what do you do when the machines have a soul, have souls and those souls learn how to love and then like, uh-oh, we have a problem. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it's just, it's fascinating because it, it reminds me of something that I think about a lot, which is the idea that we're so proud of our technology 
right? We're so proud of our little computers that fit in our pockets and everything, but we're such technological infants, mm. you know? I mean, we have this stuff and it seems really, really cool. It has been around for approximately zero time in <laughs> the history of human development. And it's like, it is, I mean, it's obvious how powerful it is both in terms of the good it can do but also in terms of the harm i mean that's not a controversial statement to suggest that that the rate of technological expansion that we've been experiencing has brought with it a lot of undesirable side effects um and in fact i mean when you're at the point of debating whether or not they're even side effects if not the actual just straight up effects you know social media may have many good attributes but it also clearly has a lot of negative ones and it is not yet obvious to me at least and to other commentators out there it seems you know like well which of those things is actually the effect right is it the good or the bad hmm. that reminds me of another thing um maybe it seems a little bit anachronistic that we're talking about like modern pop music and we're talking about an album that's from 2007 <laughs> uh but it actually is quite timely in two ways one janelle 1a is coming out with a new album like less than a week oh, after this episode airs yeah so by the way that was also part of the logic here no yeah. it was kind of accidental well, it was it was i mean we always knew we were gonna do it but yeah. but then we were like oh wait we really have to do it. yeah we, yeah that's true we realized it was coming out so soon we we're like yeah we got to do it now. Yeah. And secondly, we've never been at a time that was more interested in AI mm -hmm. than right now. I mean, like, I have not been keeping up with the AI discourse at all, really. But, I mean, it is a thing that is increasingly becoming impactful on many aspects of life. And that makes you think about things, you know, is it possible to create an AI that quote unquote has a soul? And I've actually even seen people who argue, you know, if we create AI complex enough that it actually can be called intelligence, then if we're using it for our benefit, is that not just slavery? Yeah. You know, I have, I have seen that argument and I mean, if it's possible, then it is an ethical question that we have to think about. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we're we're not there yet. No, we're not close <laughs> to being there yet. I've talked with the <laughs> chat GTP. Is not very smart. No, so <laughs> so have my students, but we're not going to go there right now. Um, <laughs> but um, I like that you kind of draw attention to the fact that this album is like more than ten years old now. Um, and yeah, we're still talking about it like it's a new thing. And by the way, the my copy of the CD has like a thing in it for MySpace. Yeah. So <laughs> just for the record, that's the era we're dealing with here. Um, but I also, I do find this kind of interesting. We find ourselves looking at all of these issues relating to technology and ethics that come up with this album. Things that relate to the future of human development. But I want to go back to the polystylistic musical language in this because i do find it interesting that that is also part of this language of the future and i'm trying to like remember back to what the musical landscape was like in 2007 and you know myspace permitted you to share some music yeah yeah a lot uh, of bands like 
yeah that yeah. was like their their thing and the other thing that existed were music blogs right where people would post their collections and mm-hmm. you know it was like definitely as illegal as napster had been but somehow it was like by weird weirdly by making it more public it was somehow easier i don't know what the deal was mm. uh this is a very slapdash try explanation of music blog there were music blogs and where people would post their whole libraries and then other people could just go in and download it and you did have access to lots and lots of music but my memory of those blogs was that they were all still pretty niche and in a way like her music kind of presages the soundcloud and spotify world that we now live in where you have all kinds of people posting all kinds of music legally right and you have uh oh algorithms that help lead you from one thing to another so the notion of genre has itself become both like balkanized but also potentially homogenized depending on how you listen and i think one of the beautiful things about this first suite is how neither of those words is applicable right like it has all of these different stylistic languages but doesn't feel like it's watering any of them down and it doesn't feel like it's creating it it, it act, like to me it doesn't feel like it's actually creating a whole new language exactly i mean because it is so built on on pre-existing ones but the, you know it doesn't need to be a new language to still be a new statement right i mean we're talking about this because it's an amazing thing and it's very much janelle monet music right so it's kind of interesting to think that in her imagining of this kind of future, this cosmically situated future, you have such, uh, I'm repeating myself a little bit, but you have such diversity of sounds <laughs> that are kind of made to commingle. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that it really is effective at doing one thing, probably many things, but one thing it's really effective at doing is world building because when I listen to this, it's even though it's really short, you know, Arc Android obviously fleshes out the universe even more and then continuing on with Electric Lady, but even just listening to this, like I have a feel I have the sense that this is like a whole fleshed out world yeah. that I'm listening to right now. And it makes sense because they live in this massive city that is kind of a mishmash at the melting pot of the universe basically, like so despite the fact that certain people are definitely oppressed in the society, it does seem like a kind of um, like polycultural kind of society. And that's kind of reflected in the music. But there's another aspect that really adds to the world building, which is the use of different media, not just the music. That is actually really, really important to this album and also the succeeding ones. I actually don't have a copy of this, so I had to look at yours, but it's like, it doesn't make as much sense unless you look at it, because the liner notes tell you a summary of the story, the situation, it gets you all set up for the the whole narrative, and there's also pictures that are just really wonderful, um, and the, on the back of the CD, she's like flying through this little escape pod that looks like she's like zooming through 
through the city and uh oh and there's the the organ the like yes. <laughs> there's this like cosmic organ yeah yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> so there's all these like really gorgeous pictures that really set the mood for this like futuristic sci-fi kind of thing yeah. and but there's, wait <laughs> there's also the video yeah yeah i think they call it a short film it really is it's, it's very packed full of stuff but there you actually get to like visually see some of the citizens of metropolis and they all they'll all pop up on the video with their names and like their occupations i think there's like a mob boss and all kinds of people there um well and part of the multimedia nature of this is it's also from the i mean i'm so glad that we <laughs> we got ourselves to talking about the album art and the liner notes because that's not unique to this installment no. this is true all of these things are true about the subsequent albums as well and i'm always struck by how just the stuff that comes with the cd is enough to do all of these things that it opens with this kind of orchestral cinematic scoring right i mean that I think is part of how one gets this sense of, oh, I think we're dealing with a whole world because she clearly invokes not just like what is what would have then been or is now still kind of current cinematic language. It's like old school cinematic language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, like it's a, the very first track is March of the Wolf Masters, right? And it is a march. It has that dun da 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 kind of thing. And it's in a minor key. And to me, it sounds like an evil march, kind of like a Darth Vader march kind of thing. Yeah, but also with, like, <laughs> the way it was recorded, like, these, like, very resonant, rich-sounding strings yeah. and, like, a lot of reverb. I mean, it sounds like it's an old Hollywood soundstage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you get those kinds of sounds later. There's another song where there are these horn rips. Droop, oh, yeah. And it's yeah. also, it's, like, not the way you would record horns for anything that you didn't want to sound old So she's always kind of drawing on these big tropes from music of the past. Her use of material from elsewhere is also something that happens throughout the cycle. And before recording, when I was listening, and we were talking about this a little bit before, one of the things that she quotes in this is the pinball number count. Um, you know, so this is from Sesame Street. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Do, 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 etc. That tune ends up in here. I mean, I'm not surprised. Like, she and I are not dissimilar in age. Uh, and that we both watch Sesame Street is maybe not surprising. And that, that that thing in particular would have stuck out in our minds, also not surprising. Because what happens in the pinball number count is you see this pinball go into the machine, but it is no machine, right? And there are, like, seven different versions of this cartoon. The ball goes into space. It goes, like, into the, like, into the wild west. I don't know, like, it goes, like, go, it goes into all of these, like, really fantastical environments. It is exactly what you would expect from, like, 
a lot of like 70s and 80s era Sesame Street animations. Mm. It's very sci-fi, in mm. other words, uh, and very funky. It is like weird meter. It's so weird. It's so I could go. We could do a whole one about the pinball number count. But suffice to say, that ends up in here. So you have this amazing intertextual reference to a cartoon segment from a children's show right like from i think that animation was first made in the 70s i'm not sure and i think it's the pointer sisters who sing on it but here being this kind of innocuous like little intro riff to one of these songs you know so her visual lexicon the world building all of these things there are all of these little aural cues sprinkled throughout i mean i yeah yeah Mm -hmm. This one thing that blows my mind about all of her Metropolis albums is just the extent of the references. Mm. Like, this is just chock full of nerd history and also music history. Um, I mean, even I was just watching the, the music video for Many Moons today and I was like reminded of her very interesting and particular dance style which is very reminiscent of james brown with the like very fast fancy footwork and she also does the moonwalk in there so it's like that was obviously at least popularized by michael jackson and not to mention the fact that it's called metropolis yes of course <laughs> this is the most obvious reference of all which is to a 1920s film called metropolis german film yeah and then when we get to, eventually when we get to the arc android of course the cover of that is, is a reference is to, a reference to yeah. it is to yeah, the yeah. poster yeah. yeah 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 which is also about an android and a society that is extremely stratified between the wealthy and the workers and it's it ends up differently but but it's probably more relevant to arc android although it's unclear how this all ends up really i mean you know so this album it ends in an ambiguous place, to say the least. Um, mm. When it was originally released, there were five tracks, the last one of which is Sincerely Jane. Yeah. Uh, and it's also unclear who Jane is. Yeah. Just from this. Yeah. Like, she becomes a character later on, but... Right. So, something of a sign-off, but then most editions contain two additional songs um, that are potentially outside of the cycle but they're not explicitly outside so it's a little bit unclear you know this first suite kind of like fades into 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 other ideas and then just sort of like stops so there's like an ambiguous endingness to it but that's also something that becomes sort of a trend throughout the whole cycle like she's initiated it in a way where it makes you want for it to go on because the stakes at the very beginning are incredibly high there is no resolution even mm -hmm. hinted at over the course of the ep mm -hmm. right and what happens subsequently another spoiler alert is just sort of like further development of the conflict right and i mean we were we were talking about one of the one of the neat details about the album artwork is that it has these little dots on the bottom 
and since this is the first suite, the first dot is filled in, but then there are empty or partially filled in dots on the remainder. That's true for all of them. Mm -hmm. The number of filled in dots coincides with the number of suites there are or have been, but there's always those two empty ones, mm -hmm. right? And so it's the implication that it's always going to go on. And I mean, that has pretty epic ramifications, not just in terms of the narrative, but also in terms of the whole the the whole symbolic life of the work, right? Yeah. I mean Yeah, I mean it's a complicated problem that it's dealing with and I think it would be less satisfying if it actually had a satisfying ending, you know what I mean? Cuz it's like Yeah, you want it to turn out right like well for Cindy Mayweather and Anthony Greendown and all the other androids in Metropolis and you want everyone to get along but if that actually happened, don't you think you would be like, that's a bit cliche now, isn't it? <laughs> you know? Well, isn't that, I think this is, I think this also gets at one of the, the beauties of the format, right? That this is an EP. Mm. It's not a full length album, right? It's like, this is your little, it's, it is complete for mm -hmm. what it is, but it's, it's like a taste of something that there could be more of. And then that's then the beauty of the, well, that's also the beauty of then the suite format as what will become part of an album and then the beauty of an album as being something that is itself complete but something that begs for multiple listens mm -hmm. right i mean you're never theoretically if an album is well done you're never like done with it you don't listen to it and then it's over and you're like great never have to do that again yeah that's not what you want you no. want you want an album to be something that is complex and that does invite you to reconsider its contents from different angles so you know she's kind of like set the whole thing in motion here in exactly that way 